0: book are we going to be in tonight? Second Peter. Okay, perfect. You know, hey, I was looking at the calendar today. Do y'all know how many days you have left of school? 24 or 28. It is for those of you, for those of you who are in high school who get to exempt some of your exams, You, you're, you're right at four weeks. For 23 days? Okay, so it's either 17 or 23 days, okay? All right? Now, for some of you, that time's going to go really fast. For some of you, that time's going to go really slow, isn't it? Because you can't wait for that time to get here. But here's, here's why I was looking at the calendar. Because if you look at it, the end of school is only about four weeks away. And what that means is that in about five and a half weeks, we're going to be at camp. So, if, yes, exactly. So, hey... If you haven't signed up for camp yet, or if you have no idea what I'm saying because you're still talking to your neighbor, camp's about five and a half weeks away. We still have some spots left. If you're interested, you need to see me. We need to make sure you get signed up. But here's what that means. Camp's five and a half weeks away, which means VBS and Summer Fun Week are about seven and a half weeks away. And if you're not familiar with that, VBS is a great time to Come and serve all of our kids in the morning. And then in the evening, Summer Fun Week, we have a great time right here. We get out here and we get messy. And every once in a while, there's a fire truck that comes and hoses everybody off. If you've never been a part of Summer Fun what's that? We have had condiment wars before with ketchup and mustard and shaving cream and all kinds. It's a great time. But hey, so you're four weeks from school, five and a half weeks from camp. Seven and a half weeks from VBS and Summer Fun Week, which means you're nine and a half weeks from the high school mission trip. And those of you who are interested in that, we've got a meeting right after church tonight. Okay, we're going to meet right back here in this right-hand room. It's not going to be a long meeting because I know some of y'all high schoolers, you want to go eat dinner, and I also want to go have dinner, so we'll make sure it's a very short meeting so we can do that. But all of that to say, guys, is that time is slipping away from us because it goes so fast. In fact, we've been, y'all know how many weeks we've been in the book of 2 Peter already? Four. Yeah. Because we did we did chapter one in two parts, and we did chapter two in two parts. So tonight, we're jumping into chapter three. So let's walk through the questions. Who wrote the book of Peter? 2 Peter. 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 Okay. When do we believe he wrote it? That's not what I said. I said, when? When? (laughs) Around 62 to 67 AD, sometime in that time frame. Where do we think he was? Jail. Jail where? Rome. Absolutely. Okay. Who did he write it to? Okay, here's the problem. I hear a lot of... (laughs) Which means I can't hear the answers that are being called out. So, who did he write it to? The church. Why did he write it to them? Okay, they're being persecuted for their beliefs. To warn them and to what? Encourage them. Okay, that's that's exactly right. This is who Peter's writing this letter to, and this is why he's writing this letter. And as we've walked through these first two chapters, he's laid out some very important things for us so far. In chapter 1, just to recap a little bit, Peter talked about the idea that the gospel should affect every area of your life. Now, many times in church, we, we hear the gospel and we hear, hey, you need to, to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin, put your faith and trust in him. And if you do that, God will forgive you. You'll belong to him forever. And when you die, you'll go to heaven. And we think, great, my eternity's taken care of. But sometimes we forget that the gospel is not just supposed to affect our eternity. It's supposed to affect our life today. It's supposed to affect the way that we, that we act, the way that we speak, the way that we interact with other people. And that's what Peter laid out there in the first part of that chapter. And then in the second part of chapter one, he talks about the fact that we need to remember the truth of what we've learned about God. If you've been in church or, or somebody's taught you about God and about who Jesus is, it's too easy for us to forget things that we know to be true. Because we get distracted. We get busy with other things. And Peter lays out this idea that you've got to remember what you've learned about God because it's true. And you've got to remember why it's true. It's true because we've learned it from the Word of God. Because this, this book is a book that we can trust. And as he's walked through this, he's shown us that there's going to be people who come in and they try to twist what this book says. That's the whole false teacher thing that we've been looking at for the last two weeks where he's talked about what false teachers do and what false teachers look at. He's saying there's going to be people who come in to the body of believers, to the church, who are going to stand up on platforms, and they're going to tell you some things about God, and some of it may look like what Scripture says, but some of it's not going to look like Scripture at all. What's that? I can't hear you. All just for money. Some of them do it for money. Some of them do it for fame. Some of them do it just because they want to because they enjoy it. Whatever the reason is, it's wrong. And that's what Peter in chapter 2 laid out for us. And what he does now is he picks up in chapter 3 and he kind of goes back to a little bit of what he was talking about in chapter 1 and 2. He's kind of summing everything up. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the first 13 verses of 2 Peter chapter 3 tonight. And as we do this, here's the question I want you to keep in mind. The question I want you to be thinking through in the back of your head is this. Where are you finding hope for your life? Because he's going to talk about this tonight. And a lot of times what we do is is we don't really stop and think, where am I finding hope? And we tend to put our our hope in things that that aren't really going to give us hope. We put our hope in in sports or grades or a job and a career or relationships and all of these other things. And yet what scripture shows us is that there is only one place where we can find true, real hope. And that's in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's why I want you to keep that question in the back of your mind. Your life right now, today, not the church answer, but the real answer in your head and your heart. Where are you finding hope for your life? So let's do what we always do when we read a chunk of scripture. I'm going to ask you to stand and follow along with me. Second Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for the hastening, the coming of the day, the hastening, The coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that we can come together here tonight, God, that we can spend time in your word. And and even when we look at passages like this, where it, it looks like there may be some confusing things God, you're, you're not the God of confusion. You're the God of clarity. And sometimes what we don't understand is because we lack understanding. It's not because you are not consistent in who you are. And God, I pray that you'll help us to see that as we walk through some of this tonight, to see who your word shows us you are and who you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So Peter, he's, he's, he's starting this last chapter with a reminder look at what he says there in verse one dear friends this is now my second letter to you he said hey this isn't the first time i've written to you this is the second time that i've been in contact with you and he goes on to write i have written both of them as what as as what as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking i want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given By our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffer will, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. Peter is going back to what he wrote in chapter one of this book, and he's taken the opportunity to remind these people in the early church, and in turn, remind us again that the gospel has to be central in your life. It should affect every area of everything every part of your life, every single day. And the reason it should do that is because that is what God's word tells us. And this is the book that we can trust because this book never fails us. Peter is summing up chapters 1 and 2 here and then he he goes on and he gives an example of some of that false teaching you know what he's been talking about for the whole last chapter how false teachers look and what false teachers do he actually starts talking about an example of some of that false teaching that was creeping into the church and if you remember what we talked about last week we said that false teachers they they did the, they were they were or did three things do you remember what the first thing was that we learned about false teachers what are they they're, they're arrogant. Yeah, they, they, they think they know the answer to everything even if God's word doesn't reveal that answer. They feel like their opinion is the most important one in the room even if God's word is in the room. They're arrogant and they speak with arrogance and they live their lives with arrogance. What's the second thing we learn about false teachers? You combined them. They gained at the expense of others. Absolutely. They're looking out for themselves. They may stand up and say they're preaching the gospel, but they're preaching a false gospel, and the person that they're looking to glorify is not God but themselves. And what was the last one? They give false hope because they take God's word, and they twist God's word, and they make God into something that he's not, and they promise things that God's word doesn't promise. And what Peter is saying here, he's saying, hey, I've shown you what these people look like. Now, let me show you some of the things that they might teach you. And he starts that there in verse 4. He says, they will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So Peter says, these are scoffers. These are false teachers. And he says, they're going to come and they're going to question God. Where where is he where's this coming he promised because if you go back and you read the gospels and you see where jesus left earth scripture says he went to heaven he told the disciples hey i'm going to come back one day and between that time and the time this was written there's people who are coming into the church going where is he he, he said he's coming back but, but he's not here. So everything that we see from the time that he left to the time right now, people have lived, people have died, and, and he's still not here. So is it true? And he's saying that's the kind of questions that they're bringing into the church. Life goes on the way it always has. Where is this God? Why hasn't he come back like he's said it would? But the problem is, when you start introducing questions like that, you start to call everything about who God is into question. Because if God can't be trusted to keep his word, then God can't be trusted for anything else his word tells us about him. Because the fact of the matter is, it's either all true or none of it's true. So when we start to ask those questions, we can't just ask those questions using our own logic or what other people are telling us are true of things that are true about God. We've got to actually dig into God's word ourselves. And the amazing thing is look at how Peter responds starting in verse 5. He says they deliberately forget that long ago, he's making an argument against him, that long ago by God's word the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of the water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. See, what Peter is doing is he's going back and he's saying, we need to address what they're asking because they've forgotten. These people have forgotten what God's word says. They've forgotten who God is and what he's done. And they've chosen to ignore and to forget that through the power of his word, God created everything. Colossians, the book of Colossians chapter 3, it tells us that through Jesus Christ, everything was made by him, for him, through him, and for his glory. And they're ignoring that. They're saying, he's not even coming back. And Peter's saying, oh yeah, he is. He's coming back because his word promises that he's coming back. He's coming back because the word of God makes promises that there's going to be a day that Jesus Christ will return and there's going to be a day that all of creation and all of humanity will stand before God and be subject to his righteous judgment because he's God and he has the right to do that. And these false teachers have forgotten that. And the amazing thing and what I love about how Peter responds here is that Peter doesn't just say they're wrong. He doesn't just say, nope, 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 stupid. Don't say that. That's not right. If you go back and you actually walk through the next couple verses, what you find is that Peter actually responds with references to Scripture all over the place. See, here's what we tend to do sometimes. When somebody challenges your faith or challenges what you believe, our tendency is sometimes we check our brain at the door. We just say, what you're saying to me, that's not true because somebody else told me it's not true. Or that's not true, I I don't want to hear that. Or we go into playground mode like two little kids arguing. Well, God's not real. Well, yeah, God is real. Well, my dad can beat up your dad. Well, my dad's stronger than your dad. Well, my dad can lift a couch. Well, my dad can lift a car. Oh, yeah, well, you're just stupid. And yet, that's how we interact with people when it comes to talking about our faith. When people challenge what we believe, when people challenge what God's word says, we fall into that kind of mode. Peter doesn't do that. Peter actually references all kinds of scripture in these next couple verses. Look at verse 8. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. That verse right there, Peter's referencing Psalm 90 verse 4, which says this, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. The wording's a little bit different, but Peter's going back to Old Testament scripture to respond to false teachers. He's not just giving his opinion. He's not just making some emotional argument. He's saying, this is what God's word says. This is what they're denying. Or look at verse nine, verse nine, "The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all shall, should reach repentance." Now he's referencing multiple verses. He's going back to Habakkuk 2, verse three, "For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Or Isaiah 30, 18, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord God is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Or Ezekiel 33, 11, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Or even New Testament scripture. First Timothy 2, 3 and 4, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse for verse, Peter is referencing other scripture. Now it's possible that first Timothy passage is also referencing the Old Testament verses, but it's got similar verbiage there. Or how about the next verse, verse 10, 2 Peter chapter 3, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You can find similar verbiage in Matthew 24, starting in verse 42. Therefore, stay awake for you do not know when the day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then Revelation twenty-one-one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Everything that Peter writes in those three verses, those are not his opinion. He's going back to other scriptures. When people come at you and they're teaching false things and they're teaching lies about God's word and lies about who God is, you can't just argue your opinion with them. You've got to go back to the truth of scripture because guess what? Our opinions change. And sometimes our opinions are wrong. That's why they're called opinions. But if you go back to the word of God, every single time you will always find the truth of what God's word says here. And the only way you can do that, the only way you can identify that false teaching is if you know what the word of God says. That way when you hear it, that's where, that way when you see that false teaching, you can intelligently call them out for what they are. Don't check your brain at the door. When you walk in to a church service, I've told you guys this before, there's Bibles on the back table. If you sit there, And just think, I'm going to listen for the next however long we're going to be here. There's a couple things that are going to happen. You're either going to play on your phone. Or you're going to go to sleep. Or you're going to daydream the entire time. But if you will open up your Bible. If you will grab one of those notebooks and you will take notes about what we're walking through. Then you will engage your brain with the word of God. And as you engage your brain with the word of God, you begin to understand who God is and what God's word says. And you begin to understand how he wants you to live a life that honors him. And that's exactly what he starts talking about there in verse 11. Peter writes, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? He says, hey, if, if you know all of this is coming, all of this is happening, one day all of creation is going to stand in judgment before God, you know all of these things, what kind of life should you be living right now? And he says it should be one of holiness and godliness. But then he goes on in verse 12 and he shows us the hope. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But according to his promises, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's right there in the midst of all of this in verse 13 that we see hope. Hope that this world as we know it. That that the sin that exists and runs rampant through humanity. That the pain that so many people experience every single day because of bad choices. That the disaster we see around us every single day, it's not going to last forever. There's going to come a day that Scripture tells us that Christ will return and God will righteously judge all of creation and we see hope, hope that the uncertainty and the desperation that so many people experience every single day <laughs> Hope that the lies of false teachers are not going to hold true. And we only see that in God's word. That's why I asked you to keep that question in the back of your mind tonight. Where are you finding hope for your life? Because if you are putting hope, your hope for your life, the hope for your future in anything besides God's word and the person and the work of Jesus Christ, then I'm sorry, but it's hopeless. And there's going to be times that you feel hopeless because you're trusting in things that aren't true. You're trusting in things that are going to fail you. You're trusting in lies that the world is telling you about who you could be and how you should be instead of trusting in the truth of who God says He created you to be. It matters where your hope is because where you put your hope, that is where you put everything that you are and God has created you to have hope in Him, to be defined by Him, to identify the way that He identifies you as His creation, as His child, as the one that He loves more than anything in this world. Where are you finding the hope for your life tonight? If you're here tonight and it's anything besides Jesus Christ, I challenge you, I urge you, make a change. Because whatever you're hoping in is going to fail. There is hope here because one day Jesus is coming back and one day those who have put their faith and their trust in him, they are going to see the promises that he makes come true. Everything else is going to be gone. It's going to be wiped away. That's what his word says, which is why we know we can trust it. So where are you placing your hope tonight? If it's not in Jesus Christ, please reconsider that. If it's not in Jesus Christ, maybe it's time to stop and take a look at your life. Because that's the only place we can find hope. That's the only solution for the pain and troubles and sin problem that we have in our lives. That is what we just celebrated less than a week ago. Jesus Christ giving his life on a cross to pay the penalty that scripture says is owed for your sin and my sin. That is what we celebrated on Sunday when Jesus rose from the tomb and he conquered death and he conquered sin. And he offers us forgiveness and he offers us hope. And he offers us life and he offers us truth and it's all right here in his word. And you can have that tonight if you don't. And when we stand and when we sing in just a minute, if you've got questions about that, maybe you're not ready to put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you've got questions. Great. Ask your questions. Because one thing you will always find is that when you seek truth, you will find it. I've heard people say, hey, in the church as Christians, we're not supposed to question God why not? God's not scared of your questions. God's not scared of the things, the doubts that you have. Ask them. Find an adult you trust. Find somebody that knows what scripture says and ask your hard questions because when you seek truth, you will find it and you will find it right here in God's word. If you've got questions tonight, when we start to sing, get up and come find one of the adults in this room and ask your questions. If you're scared to go by yourself, grab the person that's standing next to you. Grab them gently. Don't like squeeze them or anything. Grab them and bring them with you. But ask your questions. Because the only hope you have for this life and the only hope you have for your eternity is in God's Word and in who Jesus Christ has created you to be. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that we can come together tonight and we can study your word, God, that we can spend time together and understanding, God, the truth of what your word says about who we are and who you've called us to be. God, we thank you for the hope that we find there. And Lord, I pray that every single person in this room tonight, God, I don't know where everybody's coming from. I don't know what they've experienced today, God, but I pray pray that they're finding their hope in you and nothing else and if that's not the case God I pray that you're talking to them right now God help each one of us to understand that the only hope we can have is in who you have called us to be the hope of your son Jesus Christ and what he's done for each one of us that would put our faith and trust in him God help us to trust that help us to find hope in that it's in Jesus name, we pray